How are we doing, guys? Welcome to Fair Food Radio, episode number 64. Um, we are currently very, very chilled in a very relaxed environment at my lovely Nan's house. Um, we're in her guest bedroom at the minute, which is ever so floral, very dull lighting, per- perfect uh, perfect atmosphere for a good night's kit. Yeah, and we not, all... not a podcast. Yeah, probably not a podcast. <laughs> but it is really, because it is nice and quiet. There's no background noise, eh? True. But guys, we've got a cracking guest on the show. You all know him by now. If you don't know, get to know. Um, go back and listen to some other episodes with the awesome Dr. Tommy Wood. Tommy, how are you doing, my man? Oh, great. Great to be back. Thanks. <laughs> this is actually third third time on the podcast now, yeah? I think so, yeah. He's like the resident fit food doctor. Yeah, that's that's good. Anytime uh, any random stuff comes up, I'm always happy to ramble about it. So, <laughs> Good man, good man. Um, <laughs> I mean, I might as well put this out here. We were actually halfway through an episode with Tommy prior to this, and then we realised that it wasn't recorded. And we were just like, no! We all did the facepalm. Oh. It was, wasn't it? We were like, oh, well, we've got to start again now and try and make it as good. as Because it was going quite well, wasn't it? Well, I was going to say, so if people don't like this episode, then that's because I put all the good material in the last one. Yeah, <laughs> all the I jokes, everything. <laughs> the one that now no longer exists. It does feel less natural, though, because we've already had these conversations. Now it's a bit, like, yeah, we're asking... a bit forced. <laughs> but it's all good, it's all good. Yeah, I mean, Tommy, we've had tons of awesome feedback, mate, since you spoke at the Fit Food Academy. Um, so, yeah, thank you for that. Um, everyone, oh, thank you. everyone loves you, man. Great. We love you. I love them. Fit Food <laughs> fans, love they all too. love you. <laughs> All right, so guys, this week we're going to be talking a little bit about um, training supplementation, so pre-workouts, caffeine, creatine, beta-alanine and the like, purely because it's probably up there with one of the most common questions we get, isn't it? Yeah, because um, I, I actually think it's it's really popular. I know it, even with you, I can talk to you all day long about gut health, hormones, all that sort of stuff. But if I mention there's a new product out there that's supposed to be amazing for whatever, weight training sprinting something you're I'm on in, it. you're you're instantly interested you're like what is it what is it why, why is it good what's it do what's it do and also when we do our supplement orders again same i'm always looking at things like cod liver oil probiotics nothing really that exciting boring stuff and then these big boxes arrive <laughs> from genetic supplements of various different potions and stuff and then you whinge at me for the supplement bill and your box is always bigger than mine basically so i thought <laughs> i'm gonna get tommy on the podcast to talk through all these different um basically these supplements that people can take pre-workout as matt said intro post-workout and just i know they are exciting and i know they're really interesting but what we want to know is is there any real benefit to them um you know should people invest in them and yeah, basically, just cut through all when, the, when and why. Cut through the clever marketing and the fancy packages and the, the six packs, and, and tell us what we should be having. And I mean, I think it's only right that we do start with good old caffeine. You know, it's uh, loved all around the world, <laughs> uh, especially in the form of coffee, preferably. So, you know, having a caffeine hit pre workout, Tommy, is that a, is there benefits to it, or should we stop? <laughs> um, well, so what I was going to think is going back to quickly what Keris was saying I think it's really really important to point out like before we go anywhere else is that the supplements are kind of like the icing on the cake right mm-hmm. so if you're not doing the sleep the stress management the food you know like good quality food and getting your nutrient timing and make sure you're getting you know enough food in particularly if you're somebody who trains pretty hard like if you're not doing that stuff I don't bother with I, I, there's no point in then worrying about the supplements Agreed, right yeah. you know if, if it's like a if it's a choice between buying better food, paying for your pre-workout, always go for the better food. That's gonna mm. that's gonna give you 
a much greater bang for your buck, essentially. Absolutely. So I think that's kind of like where people should start. Because they're expensive so, as well, aren't they? I like. I think there's there's a hefty markup on a lot of the products oh, yeah. that you're taking, which, like you said, a, be- a good night's sleep will probably offer a very similar benefit to your performance. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, there are some things that are uh, cheap and cost-effective, and things like caffeine are, are absolutely that. You know, I would prefer if people you know made themselves a nice cup of coffee, but you can buy anhydrous caffeine as a powder if you really wanted to. Um, <laughs> and, uh, it's good, and it costs it costs nothing really. So, so I think some luckily some of the things that maybe do work necessarily that expensive, but again, it's the kind of it's the extra edge, and particularly for people who are you know maybe competing, it's that it's that kind of level. Um, for for the average person who's just trying to get fitter and healthier, there's probably not that much that that, that they really need to worry about. I mean, because so, so I was just going to say like because. Most people, when when they kind of ask us about caffeine pre-workout, only a very small percentage ask about improved performance. Most people are asking about having caffeine pre-workout for its kind of like its so-called fat-burning effects. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, how much of that is actually true? I mean, some of the stuff that I've read is that, yes, caffeine can uh, burn body fat, but the actual – the difference is minimal, like in terms of like, you know, you're looking at like a very small percentage difference – yeah, some of these so-called fat-burning supplements cost an absolute fortune. Yeah, absolutely. And so the way where the where the mix-up comes is is the fact that caffeine and something else that I think somebody had a question about, which is L-carnitine. These things increase fat oxidation. So you can, if you give them to somebody, you can measure what their meta- what their metabolism is using for energy. It can increase the proportion of energy that's coming from fats. So you can say they help you burn more fat that's true but that does not mean that does not translate to fat loss those aren't necessarily the same thing and caffeine has been shown to work as a, as a fat loss aid um, but effects are small they need to be done in conjunction with uh, dare i say it a caloric deficit i don't want people to worry too much about calories but you know they do count at some point they do yeah. start to count and you know you can't just eat 7000 calories a day and take, you know, have a few cups of coffee and expect that to make <laughs> up the balance. Um, there is a potential benefit there, but you need to be doing everything else right as well. You need to be eating properly and, and doing some kind of movement, whatever that, you know, whatever um, you end up doing. And those effects, both like the performance effects and the, the fat burning effects, if you want to call it that, like on a, on a metabolic level, on a cell level, the fat burning effects actually you become sensitized to them so or desensitized to them so so those effects drop off if you're taking caffeine every day so if if you're using caffeine in, in that way it's something that you need to cycle almost and then again it's not the most important thing but if you're using it for a performance effect then you're usually better off having a few days off you know a week off at least and so so then you get the effect back when you then need it and what amounts of caffeine are you talking about? So are people thinking, because everyone out there might be thinking, is a double espresso quite high in caffeine? We, we've kind of hinted that it's not actually anywhere near the amounts that most of the studies are using, is it? Yeah, so most of the studies use, um, say, three to six milligrams per kilo. Um, so for somebody like Matt or myself, we're talking, you know, over 500 milligrams of caffeine, which is um, over, you know, over three big coffees or you know maybe almost four or five espressos so it's it's actually a huge amount of caffeine uh, before you start to see an effect and and before then that doesn't necessarily mean it doesn't make that much difference and but you're probably getting more of a 
a placebo effect than you know an exact caffeine effect because if it's just you know you're having one cup of coffee then you're not getting to the point where really you people have seen any benefit and where it does benefit people is particularly uh, endurance exercise or sprints interval type sprints or they've done a lot of field type sports so rugby hockey football where people are doing sprints intermittently there you seem to see a benefit um, in the weight room people obviously taking it as like a pre-workout before lifting weights um, it's actually much more variable. So some people might see, in the study, some people might see an effect in the first set. Some people might not see an effect until like the third set. So they've basically just been able to keep the work, their work rate higher for longer. And some people don't see any benefit. And that could be because uh, already not sensitive to caffeine because they drink a lot of coffee or they haven't taken enough. You know, some studies go up to like 800 milligrams a day, which is, wow. you know, a huge dose of caffeine. And I, wouldn't really recommend it for, <laughs> for most people because um, you're not going to feel good after that um, in general. So, so, so I think depending on what people are using it for, if it's like an everyday, you need it to get yourself to the gym, um, then I think you're getting to a point where where it's almost becoming a bit of a problem. If it's something that is sort of if you can't work out without getting caffeine beforehand, then you sort of like need to go back and look at sleep and stress and and all that kind of stuff because. Because you're gonna, because you're essentially gonna pay for it later. Because you know, you can see you have caffeine in the morning. We know it affects your sleep already, or you have it late in the day. Uh, some caffeine before you train, it might improve the, um, how you train. It might improve your performance in the gym, but then it definitely affects your sleep. And they've they've shown that in studies as well. So um, it can be beneficial um, depending on your sport and what you're using it for. But it's if you're using it performance, it's probably gonna be something. Um, that you do intermittently, like when you need to perform, say, if you're competing, rather than something that sort of gets you into the gym every day. I mean, there's almost two things in that, really, because, you know, they, you, you know, you mentioned, you know, if people are like, I have to have a coffee in order to get my ass in the gym in the first place, that's kind of like warning number one that something needs to change. But then equally, if they are someone who is having a lot of coffee on a daily basis anyway, there's a good chance that even though they're very much in that routine of having a pre-workout coffee, that like you mentioned, that they're, they're probably not getting the benefits from it that they could be anyway. So obviously there's that massive kind of like placebo effect, that whole routine and ritual that people have. I mean, I, I know that I went through a phase where um, Keris was like uh, reducing caffeine and um, when we were getting our morning coffees from the train station before jumping on the train going to the gym, I was getting decaf coffees and she had no idea. I was just getting decaf double espressos and whatnot. And she was like, yeah, I had a great workout today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like, I was like, yeah. Um, and, and so like totally had it. And it was a total placebo effect for her because she thought she was just having her usual caffeine here. And, yeah, but and also she wasn't. I read somewhere that the bitterness is quite stimulating for some, well, if you don't drink a lot of coffee, I don't, I tend to have about one a day. And the bitterness is, is stimulating for the brain. So that's why I'll, I'll justify my pretending I was high on caffeine when I wasn't. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough but... Yeah, they've, they've, done, um, they've done studies like either a sweet or bitter taste in the mouth can increase performance. You know, it's that kind of thing where everybody will say you need to drink loads of Lucozade to go faster when you run. But actually, if you just rinse your mouth out with something sweet, it has the same effect. Really? But actually, a bitter, ta- a bitter taste can, do something, can do something similar or has been shown to do something similar. So that could be part of it. But you're right, at that point, we were just having a coffee before the gym. It's, it's probably not going to improve your performance. Um, and maybe you actually don't really need it. It's just sort of something that you assume you need. Yeah. Well, one thing I was going to ask Tommy is... Um, do, do you, know, do you know, often you say one thing I was going to ask. 
do half you say etc 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 um, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> um so, well, I'm sorry, gonna repeat the sentence <laughs> one thing you were going to ask I would like to know uh, do you think genetic polymorphisms are relevant with caffeine because there's lots of people talking about being a poor basically poor caffeine detoxification I know there's um more if you're homozygous not if you're heterozygous because everyone no one cares if you're heterozygous it just means you're not as good or you're a moderate detoxifier but I gave um I brought a coffee uh to a session with a personal training client once uh, just a double espresso and I brought him one I said have a double espresso and he's like I don't normally drink coffee it makes me a bit jittery but I'll have it anyway we're about to do a kettlebell session it'll be fine and we had to cancel the session because basically it was an absolute mess and it was just a double espresso <laughs> but he was shaking and he was dizzy and he was sweating um, and he said, actually, I've never really been able to drink much coffee or even have a lot of dark chocolate either without getting this way. So I just wonder if you thought that they are relevant or if it's just because he hardly ever had it. So it's, it's, prob- it's probably both. If it's something, if it was uh, something that came on very quickly, yeah. then it's probably just due to the fact that he hadn't had, you know, and, you know, a, a couple of strong um, espressos for somebody who's not used to caffeine is, is, is a good amount of caffeine, you know depending on where you got it from, you know, that could be up to 200, 250 milligrams of, of caffeine. Yeah. Um, so then you're definitely within that, you're, at, you know, you, some people could be at the top end of what they you need to get, like a performance boost. You've sort of almost gone too far, which obviously that guy had. I'm feeling really um, bad now. <laughs> I was trying to wipe him out. <laughs> but the, um, so, so the enzymes that break down caffeine, um, CYP, 1A1 and 1A2, that you can, you can have poly- polymorphisms that affect their, um, activity and so then then what you see is that um the, sort of the half-life of caffeine changes and so it'll, it'll basically stay in the blood for le- less or more time and the average is kind of about six hours but that's very variable uh, but that's why if you have you know a cup of coffee before you go to the gym in the evening most of that caffeine is probably still in your system three hours later yeah um, the majority of it so so that's where you start to see problems i think i mean um, it, it, so- it, evening training in itself is stimulating enough without the caffeine right yeah, so, yeah, absolutely. For most I mean, people, I can't sleep uh, after an evening session. The other point I was going to make with caffeine is um, having it pre-workout and then doing something like running or sprinting. It is a bit of a bowel stimulant for some people. <laughs> so, True. <laughs> but Tommy, carry on, bud. Sorry. I... <laughs> um, what were we saying? Oh, yeah. So, so we're talking about. So, so then, an interesting thing is that, is that the different types of caffeine also have a, a different effect in different people because they'll break it down differently. So the three main types are. Caffeine, methylxanthine that you get in coffee, particularly. Then there's uh, theophylline that you'll find in tea, particularly. And people might um, be familiar with theophylline if they're asthmatic, because you give theophylline to people, with, some people if they're having a severe asthma attack. And then theobromine, which you get in chocolate. So they're, they're all slightly different, and some people get different effects from from different things. So like some people will, you know, a cup of coffee will, you know, knock them flat, but they could have, you know, quite a few squares of dark chocolate and, and they'll be fine but it is worth mentioning that some of dark chocolate has about one milligram of caffeine per gram of dark chocolate roughly so if you if you eat half a big bar of dark chocolate but you know that's the same as having a cup of coffee before you go to bed so oh, wow. you know people might not realize that they could actually really affect your sleep because, um, <laughs> that's so that's so something to, something i'll just start having it pre-workout instead then <laughs> pre-workout coffee, uh, chocolate bar yeah so, so maybe there is something in boosts after all. Yeah, Pre, pre-workout boost bar. Because <laughs> what I was going to ask was, what's your take on, um, you know, the whole, you know, bulletproof coffee or you know, like MCTs, coconut oil in your coffee? 
in the morning pre-workout. Where, where are you with that? So I'm okay with that, actually. I, I did that for a while. Um, and then it was a reason, you know, I put a reason about butter and coconut oil and just to sort of try it and see. Um, and actually, I felt, so, so one thing that um, fat does, you put a large amount of fat into the stomach because it delays gastric em- emptying. So if you're going to do a tough, you know, if you have a, a big load of butter and coconut oil and then go for a heavy squat workout, um, you end up feeling quite sick, actually, or at least I did, um, yeah. just because mm-hmm. it's all just sitting in the stomach. So I think that's, that's part of the problem. The, what, what I've also seen with some, with some people recently look at, looked at some blood tests, actually, um, where somebody was drinking bulletproof coffee and, you know, their, chole- their blood cholesterol had gone through the roof. Like it was, uh, it was over eight, I think, their total mm-hmm. cholesterol, which is pretty high. Yeah. And, I, and I, don't, I don't think we need to worry about cholesterol nearly as much as we do. When your total cholesterol is that high, I think you could probably just, you, know, you could probably, you know, wheel back on the butter and coconut oil just a little bit, um, probably because it's a huge, huge saturated fat load that the, the, the body is not necessarily used to dealing with. So, so I think it, you know, people could feel very good on that, and uh, I think you know, just having a fat-based breakfast and, and a coffee before you go to the gym would be fine. Um, I'm, I think MCT oil can also be pretty good. It can um, increase your your blood ketone levels, so that can um, help with mental clarity and things like that. And some people notice notice the benefit from that in the gym. Um, but I think it just would be a balance of calories versus the amount of fat and that you can accept in your stomach. And, and, and the problem is that you know, another problem with something like bulletproof coffee is that if most of you know if you're, if you're taking in a thousand calories from a bulletproof coffee, which isn't too difficult or close to that, you know, those are a, a thousand calories you're not getting from other food with more nutrition in it yeah. so i think that's you know it, it shouldn't replace it shouldn't replace a meal that actually has you know some more more sort of nourishment in it if you see what i mean so let's say you're someone like me who trains first thing in the morning around 6 30 7 a.m um how long before because obviously because it's such an early start i i don't have any food um i i tend to just have a coffee generally about 30 minutes pre as well as um, just some amino acids as well. Yep. Um, would you say 30 minutes was long enough to kind of reap the benefits of the caffeine or should I t- uh, have it a little bit sooner when I get up? So I think the, the average of the studies, you know, so, so they, they did an interesting study where they looked at performance and, and they individualized the caffeine delivery based on when each person got peak caffeine in the blood. So basically, they looked, they, they gave them caffeine, they looked at the curve of caffeine in the blood, and then they timed the caffeine to that before a workout. And actually, that didn't seem to make any difference. And so what it seems is about, um, which is interesting, but basically, so about an hour, about an hour before, I think, is, is, the, is the best time. Uh, so half an hour, you might, just, you might just miss the benefit at the beginning, uh, but, you, but you'd start to see it by the end. So it kind of depends on, but so that will also, you know, I, I don't think you should get up half an hour earlier just so you can have your coffee half an hour earlier. So that, you know, then I think you enter it and enter into a, a spiral that's probably not really worth worrying about that much. Or maybe I could have two: one when I get up, and then another one half an hour before. Uh, yeah, sure. And then you'll need the loo as soon as you get there you to go. the gym. <laughs> Sorted. <laughs> um, cool. So caffeine gets the thumbs up. Then, assuming you can handle it quite well and you're not relying on it, yeah. Yeah, and, and just you know, like like everything, if, if you're in if you're in good health and and you kind of it's something you enjoy, then great. And and coffee has been shown to have a number of benefits in in various studies. So 
if that's how you that's how you like it, then then great. But if it's if you're if you're really really struggling all day every day, and caffeine has become sort of a bit of a crux, then maybe just if, as as much as you can, sort of look at all the other stuff that you and I talk about, you know, bang on about all the time, <laughs> um, you know, sleep and stress and food and relationships and all that stuff. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Just one other thing with um with the caffeine. I know we're going to move on in a second, but what about um? <laughs> Post, we made this whole podcast about we, coffee. We could do a whole about caffeine. Um, post-workout, you know, uh, Poliquin's always sort of saying uh, no caffeine post-workout because it elevates cortisol. And obviously post-workout, you're supposed to be bringing adrenaline cortisol down. And I think he said it inhibits protein synthesis or something like that as well. Is that something you would agree with? Or He said green tea, yes, because of it's got L-theanine, has a nice calming effect on the body after a workout. Um, I'm asking because Matt basically ignores this piece of advice and still has a coffee pre and post workout. Not always. Not always. <laughs> so the only reason that I would not have a, ca- a coffee pre workout is if it was, um, you know, close to my bedtime again. So if you're training at six in the morning and you have a second coffee at like eight or nine, I don't really think there's an issue there. Um, so one interesting thing, um, Charles Poliquin is right about a lot of stuff. But he's also wrong about a lot of stuff. Uh, <laughs> So a cortisol spike after a training session, you know, a greater cortisol, cortisol spike is actually associated with, with better muscle gain and better long-term performance. So, so we, often we, we think about trying to control cortisol um, or reduce, maybe reduce cortisol, but basically um, we just want cortisol at the right times. And, and, and after a workout, uh, cortisol is a good thing to have. It will help stimulate the repair process, but also seems to help stimulate muscle growth. Um, so if that's if that's what people are looking for, then then maybe there's a potential benefit there. Um, caffeine has also been shown to potentially increase glycogen uh, resynthesis. Um, in I think uh, the next time we talk, we're going to talk a little bit about um, nutrient timing and things like that, and you know post workout meals and, and stuff. So so I don't think that that's necessarily something that people need to worry about too much in general. So, so I, I don't think that it, it will be associated with a, with a negative effect, really. I don't think that's, that's, that's really been shown. Um, but again, it's just, I think, more about your total caffeine intake and when it is during the day mm-hmm. rather than because it's going to stop you um, reaching your goals or recovering from exercise or anything like that. That was like music to Matt's ears. Not just me. I can imagine so many people like just like <laughs> punching the air right now. Coffee with breakfast. It, like, it was like the time I told you to marinate your steak in beer. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's up there. It's up there. Awesome. So kind of continue. I was going to say, do you want to move on to amino acids pre-workout? Yeah, I mean, so this is a this is a, another question we get a hell of a lot. Um, amino acids, and of course, there's there's different types of what are the best ones to have pre-workout, during, post, et cetera, et cetera. So I suppose well, one, one question I really wanted you to answer was... Um, just one you, question, yeah. <laughs> just one, one, <laughs> that's just one thing. Um, was the branched-chain amino acids versus free-form amino acids. And my understanding was that free-form is almost it, basically like pre-digested. It's more bioavailable to the body. So you could take it 30 minutes before, some people say 15 minutes before you train. Um, and it's just going to basically top up your protein pool and 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 do its job. And then with BCAAs, it's more about just protecting muscle mass. So I don't know. Is it, is it normally that you take those an hour before? You can tell this is not my forte. <laughs> like, Giving me probiotics and god cod liver oil or something else. I need to go. But BCAAs. When would you normally? take Well, them? I mean, I I take BCAAs about 
I suppose about 30, 40 minutes pre-workout. Uh, the one I'm taking at the moment is Sustain 2.0 by Genetic Supplements. That's which free form there, isn't it? No, it's, it's BCAAs, it's leucine, isolucine, oh, sorry, yeah, and it's got uh, some beta alanine in there as well, which makes your face tingle like absolute crazy. I didn't know what the hell was going on with me the first time I took it. It was just insane. Like my whole head and face and just parts of my body were itching that have never itched before. It makes me scratch my eyebrows. Like, are we ordering That's a coffee? It, I'm scratching my eyebrows. <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah. So, what would be yes, your kind of take? A million questions there, but <laughs> essentially, so essentially, uh, the yeah, pre-workout. So, so, so amino, amino acids, right? So, so the the only thing, so the most important thing um, in terms of amino acids and protein is that you get enough during, you know, you have maybe some on board during the training window, but then you get enough afterwards, particularly for twenty four hours afterwards. So, right. you can if you haven't eaten recently before you know in the last maybe uh, one or two hours before you train got on some protein before then and, and you want to like really really minimize the likelihood that you're gonna lose a little bit of muscle by you know training working hard and putting yourself in a bit of an amino acid deficit then something like a branch chain amino acid can uh, can work um essential amino acids which are which are basically uh branch chain amino acids plus plus a few more um, and they're the ones that the body can't make, essentially. And, and what you're doing there is you're just giving enough, mainly to just prevent the body stealing amino acids from a different part, from a different muscle that you're not working to kind of shuffle to, towards the ones that you are working. So, I mean, there is a li- there is a bit of there is a bit of benefit from them. I don't think that there's there's a huge amount of evidence for it. A free form amino acid is just basically uh, uh, it usually be some kind of protein mix that they've just broken down and digested. Usually, so like something, I mean, it's fairly similar to a, a hydrolyzed whey protein, right? right. Which tastes horrible. <laughs> I mean, if anybody, if anybody, like, in some of the, some of the, I, I tried some of the first, like, hydrolyzed whey things or, or pre-workouts that had, like, various amino acids, uh, they are, they're, they taste terrible. I don't know what, what uh, <laughs> your, your one tastes like, Matt, but some of it is just awful because, because well, amino acids to... are very sour, they're very bitter. Yeah, we tried, I had, um, just a very plain free-form amino acid, nothing added. And it was, I think, possibly the most rancid supplement oh, I've ever vile. had. It used to make me wretch. And then, this is the other thing I was going to ask you. So now we're using one by Genetic Supplements, which is great, but it does have sweeteners in. So, like, one of, one of my things is if, if someone's training most days of the week, they are chugging down quite a few sweeteners. But I think you mentioned you weren't too concerned about that. But it's, it's, it's only a little bit of sucralose, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Some of them are. Some of them yeah, are. There's, so sucralose can be... So some uh, sort of something like erythritol um, is basically absorbed and peed straight out. Um, some of the other ones are kind of broken down potentially to some, you know, not great things like um, aspartame is broken down into methanol, but actually the body produces a lot of methanol in, in normal metabolism. So I think that's kind of that's kind of oversold, but it's still not, you know, it's still not great. And, you know, people, people should avoid that stuff as much as they can. Um, sucralose. Um, I think it's broken down into formic acid, which a lot of people um, kind of worry about. But I, I, I don't think in small amounts there's really that much evidence to suggest it's bad. But then again, if you're – well, I know you train early in the morning, so then I, I think uh, when you're essentially breaking your fast for the gym, so taking maybe 5, 10, 15 grams of amino acids is, is, is potentially a good idea. Um, for somebody who's, who's training in the evening or, or during the day and they've already had a couple of meals and they're actually – you know, they're sort of hitting their protein requirements and, and getting in a reasonable amount of protein, then, then I'm not sure they necessarily they necessarily need them. So and would you... Oh, go on, sorry, Chris. No, I was going to say, so in terms of 
freeform versus BCAAs, there's not much to choose between any of it, really? Yeah, so um, a lot of people prefer a, a larger mix. So, so uh, BCAAs, uh, particularly so leucine, isoleucine, and valine. Leucine particularly seems to have uh, one of the more sort of anti-catabolic um, effects. It also has an insulin-stimulating effect. Uh, but that's probably not something you need to worry about while you're training because you won't really get that much of an insulin boost while you're training. And they can also have, they also have been shown to have like an anti-fatigue effect. So um, that's because uh, we, we think that's because they compete uh, with tryptophan for, for transport across the blood-brain barrier. So tryptophan is uh, taken into the, you know, up, taken up into the brain and um, is converted into serotonin. So it can, it can all, you know, that's sort of on the side of a more inhibitory neurotransmitter or will sort of like make you feel a bit chilled out, but can also is involved in things like, you know, um, pain and fatigue. So BCAAs can uh, uh, potentially prevent that by competing with tryptophan for uptake into the brain. That would have implications then if, you know, some of the protocols people have put out there where you're taking BCAAs a few times a day, would that not have implications for you, um, you know, sort of on a mood health level then or not? Um, and sleep I don't, Yeah, so well, one thing I've noticed is, is some people I've spoken to, um, and, there's, and there's good reason there, is you take uh, BCAs too, too uh, close to bedtime, it can help you, it will, will keep you awake. Yeah. Um, and actually, I, for me, um, and we can talk about why, uh, when we talk about, if we talk about creatine, I think creatine has a very similar effect for me. It, it definitely affects my sleep. Um, so, so there is definitely a possibility there. I, I think people could, you know, some people who may potentially benefit from um, amino acid um, supplements. So say something like an essential amino acid supplement might be people who have something going on in their gut. So particularly if you have some kind of dysbiosis or small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, um, you're not really going to get as much of the protein that you take in, particularly some of the amino acids like something like tryptophan, E. coli, um, a number of other um, bacteria that can, that can cause dysbiosis in the gut. They love they love tryptophan, and then and then you don't get that. You can't make enough serotonin, um, and that's something that, that you'll check for in your organic acids test. You check for urinary indicam. Um, that's something that you, I know you talked about, Karis. Um, so you can kind of see that on, on certain tests. But if people know they have something going on in their gut, then they might just try and out, you know, just shove a little bit more in uh, by by taking by taking amino acid supplement. But that's sort of something that. You know, if you've got a diagnosis or something like that, it's maybe worth trying. Uh, but, but for uh, the average person who's training during the day and they've eaten enough, the rest of the time they're getting enough protein in, then, then probably it won't make, make that much of a difference. Awesome. So what would be, um, with regards to, obviously, there's a lot of speak of intra-workout uh, supplementation now, um, you know, in the form of intra-workout carbs, intra-workout amino acids. Um, what What's your kind of stance on... You know, on that, like, is there benefit to taking uh, amino acids during a workout? Or because uh, I often think a lot of people take supplements because they read, I don't know, X, Y, or Z study about the benefits of them. But I think very few people actually train hard enough in the first place to justify a lot of the supplements they're taking as it is. Um, so, what, what would, what's your kind of take on intra workout? The theory is, is fairly sound. If, if, you're, if you're somebody doing long, hard sessions, so you're getting in the gym for maybe over an hour to two hours, um, particularly if you haven't eaten within a, a close amount of time of, of going to the gym, then the theory for, for intra-workout 
supplementation, it is fairly good. So especially if uh, you're working hard, getting in the gym for you know at least over an hour to two hours, and you haven't maybe had a great meal uh, beforehand, then you know the, the the theory is quite good, and and there's a small amount of evidence. And and the reason why that is is because especially while you're working hard um, for a long period of time, your your body basically needs um, just to keep the the Krebs. So the Krebs cycle is what the mitochondria uses to make energy, basically. And it, so things are constantly coming in and they're constantly going out at various stages of the cycle. And so what happens is you need something to sort of like keep providing input to keep the, the cycle spinning is kind of the, the way to the way to think about it. And then and then actually having you know just a small input of, of some amino acids or carbohydrate um, could potentially work there. And we know, so people say fast for a long period of time, but they take, you know, literally just small amounts, maybe 10 grams of glucose a day. That's enough to just stop losing muscle mass because they're not sort of stealing bits off to kind of sort of keep things ticking over. Um, But um, if, uh, so if you're a a competitive physique athlete, bodybuilder, um, an elite competitive athlete, then I think those things are really worth considering. If you're, just an average person getting to the gym two, three times a week. Um, well, first of all, you probably shouldn't be spending two uh, two hours there. Um, <laughs> you know, you could definitely be more efficient with your time. Watch Matt's ten minute um, little circuit things. Um, so, so, so I think for somebody on that level, for the average person, I, I, I just don't think it's worth the money. I don't think there's enough evidence to suggest it's going to make that much of a difference. And then, what's really going to make a difference is sleeping properly, eating properly the rest of the day. You know, all that kind of stuff. So, so the theory is good. For people where you know one percent makes a difference, absolutely. For for the rest of us, uh, I don't think it's worth it. And um, just because you've touched on um, Krebs cycle, there, can we uh, chat a little bit about L-carnitine? Because that again yes. is sold as a as a fat loss aid, um, so hugely yeah. popular amongst um, cl- clients and, and our members. Sort of asking, oh, would this help me pre workout? And I know some people generally do have um, a need for it, especially if you do organic acids tests. It comes up as, like you said, carnitine deficiency, but what about most people? Do you think they'd benefit from taking it? Because again, it's not a cheap supplement to take. Yeah. So, so this is really interesting. And and again, uh, like we talked um, with caffeine, there's there's definitely um, there's definitely something associated. With, you know, so carnitine is very important when you want to use fat for energy. So it does help with fat burning. Technically, that's true. And the reason what it does is basically is you attach carnitine to a fat that you want to move into the mitochondria to burn, and it kind of the carnitine attached to the fat then allows the fat to be shuffled into the mitochondria and it wouldn't go through otherwise. So it is really key into getting, you know, fats into, into the mitochondria. Um, and, and it comes in two or three different types. So there's um, acetylcarnitine, um, carnitine tartrate, and uh, carnitine propionyl, or sorry, glycine propionyl carnitine, so GPLC. And carnitine tartrate is what they've mainly used for looking at uh, performance, and the other two are often used, um, looked at like um, cognitive cognitive performance and cognition, uh, memory, and things like that. And but the, then again, they're all kind of interchangeable. I've seen all of them used for everything in terms of in terms of studies. Um, and and the important thing to point out is that there is no study that's shown a robust fat loss effect of taking carnitine. So it's, in, it's important in, in uh, fat metabolism, fat burning, but just taking it will not help weight loss. That's not been shown robustly in any studies as far as I can tell. Now, it does um, seem to maybe improve like 
a short anaerobic sprint performance. So maybe something like if you're doing a 30-minute time trial on a bike or you're doing, you know, maybe sort of a 10, you know, they've done a study where you do repeated 10-second sprints on a bike and, and then people saw, saw a benefit. But I can't really think of a sport where that's 100% relevant. Um, but one thing that one thing that you did mention, Karis, which is potentially important, is that it has kind of been shown to help people's metabolism if they've been suddenly put... So you take people who, who eat a normal diet or a high-carb diet and you suddenly switch them to a high-fat diet, um, and, and then you end up uh, with something like, you know, called carb flu, you know, low-carb flu, that mm-hmm. if, you, if, you, if you suddenly stop eating all the carbs, then you don't feel very good. And, and although I haven't seen it directly written like that, it doesn't mean it might have been written somewhere, but I, I think the part of that is because basically the body isn't very good at shuttling fat into the mitochondria for burning. So part of a low-carb flu might be because you've got a relative carnitine deficiency. And, and you can see that. So if, if you look on um, uh, an organic acid test, you see like um, adipate, um, subureate, um, ethyl malinate, those are basically those are basically breakdown products of fats that haven't been able to get into the mitochondria. Now the problem with that, so say if somebody is really struggling to get onto a to transition to a low carbohydrate diet for whatever reason, maybe they're going to try and become fat adapted so they're a better endurance athlete and they're really struggling. Um, it's definitely possible that carnitine could help there. And I know a few athletes where that's been the case, you know, actually suddenly they take some carnitine and it, and it really, really helps. Um, that's often based on an organic acids test, but um, if you're doing a 700-pound test to, to see whether a 40-pound supplement will work for you, doesn't really make much sense. <laughs> so, so I think in general, in general, I, I don't think it's, it's something that people should regularly be taking unless they unless they get to a point where they're really struggling with something like adapting to a low-carb diet and it's something they want to try, then maybe it's worth trying. Um, but in terms of like a fat loss supplement or you know, a really, um, you know, a really useful, like, performance-boosting supplement, I don't think there's that much evidence. Um, it might work a bit better if you take some choline with it. So uh, it can help make acetylcholine, uh, particularly if you've taken acetylcarnitine. Um, and then, you know, that could, you know, that's a neurotransmitter that can help with um, uh, cognition and focus, and they've, they've done some studies in cognition in the elderly. Um, and then they say... Um, take uh what is it i think it's about 20 milligrams per kilo of choline but then that's just two or three egg yolks so don't bother taking the synthetic choline. just like have a couple of eggs uh, with your have a couple of eggs with your carnitine if you're going to take it so i think so i think for some people it might really benefit but as like a as like a fat loss supplement there isn't really any other nice it's good because i've got um two people who i know were asking me about carnitine and one was asking because she was going to take it before a night out on a Friday, basically, <laughs> to try and mitigate the damage. And then another was a client. <laughs> so before she had her pizza and bottle of wine, she's like, I'll take the carnitine because <laughs> it helps with fat burning. That, uh, that, that was her thinking. Uh, no, no, I don't think that's good. That was how her trainer had told it as a supplement to I her. Mean, it's uh, fat burning. So I mean, she... Domino's yeah. could latch onto that. <laughs> it could be an added ingredient. Do you want to sprinkle a carnitine on your pizza? But then carnitine another... stuffed crust. Right? <laughs> but another was a client who's doing um, some um, long cycles and he wants to do it fat adapted, so it'd be perfect for him in that sense. And he's yeah, struggling then, to do then the... for, for something like him. Yeah, that, then it would be worth it'd be trying. Beneficial. Cool. So another thing that seems to be getting a lot of press at the minute is uh, is beta alanine. What are the what are the supposedly supposedly the benefits to taking it, and and are there kind of any 
solid studies that suggest that it is worth taking as a pre-workout or is the extra calories in scratching your face and your bits and <laughs> your eyebrows specifically yeah. that's where it helps yeah so um <laughs> Yeah, if you're taking so uh, betaamine is is basically it's a precursor to carnosine, which is a which is mainly a, a buffer for acid that you make in your muscles when you work really hard. And it's interesting because um, beta taking betaamine is better than taking carnosine. So if you take carnosine, it's broken down in the gut into betaamine, and then the betaamine gets taken up and turned into carnosine. So actually, you end up with less useful. You end up with less carnosine in your muscle if you take carnosine compared if you take betaamine because right. betaamine is like the key component for making carnosine so it, it, it generally thought to help buffer uh buffer acid so if you start to you know really get a lactate burn it's not necessarily because of the acid that that pain happens but we kind of associate the two together um but it can also have some some antioxidant effects and it might have like a an anti-glycation effect so you know we talk about ages you know where you get like um, sugars attached to things in the body, like um, people's, you know, HbA1c is like your glycated hemoglobin. So it's how much you've got like sugars that are attached to proteins that shouldn't be there. And there's a theory that um, having more carnosine helps with that because the carnosine basically takes the hit and then gets excreted without causing any problems. Uh, but there's no there's no real evidence of that. But it's anyway. you, do you ever take any of this stuff just to see <laughs> before you? Far <laughs> as you, I'd be taking all these things just like waiting to see what happens. <laughs> with, a, with a problem with um, so if you take beta alanine to try and reduce um, uh, glycation end products in the body and see whether that has any benefit, you basically have to take it every day for the rest of your life. And then maybe you'll live three days longer. <laughs> so, so it's an interesting theoretical point, but whether it makes that much difference, I'm not sure. But uh, there are fairly good studies, and it's, it's mainly almost all of this stuff is done in you know anything that's going to improve any kind of performance, either endurance or sprint, is usually tested on the bike in, in some kind of in some kind of you know, bike in the lab. And so, if you're doing between like a maybe a 30 to 60 second up to maybe four minute um, interval uh, or the sort of flat out sprint or repeated sprints with a fairly short time in between, then actually beta-alanine seems to, to give a few sort of percent increase in terms of uh, total power output or distance covered. Um, and that's fairly, I think it's fairly well described and people would kind of, would kind of um, uh, believe it for that. And, and there's a potential additive effect with creatine and also with uh, bicarbonate. So that's basically a, it's a base that you can kind of use sodium bicarbonate, you know, use it to make in baking. But that can also use to sort of buffer some of the acid. But you need to take quite a lot of that. It's about 0.3 grams per kilo, they say, which is 30 grams of sodium bicarbonate. Um, so if anybody ever tries to take that, they'll usually end up with it coming out one end or the other <laughs> fairly quickly. So it's something that you need to kind of, before, you know, if you're going to take it for a CrossFit workout, you take creatine, betaamine, and all that bicarbonate, just try it first. Build up gradually. Some... I'm going to put yeah. it all in a cake. Pre-workout <laughs> <laughs> cake, yeah. <laughs> so why does betaalanine make your face tingle? And your nuts. And not, your nuts. Not, not my, well, your nuts. My nuts. nuts. <laughs> yeah. Which makes, um, nuts makes my whole body tingle, to be fair. I, I don't know, and, and I'm not sure anybody does know. So I think there's something to do with having you get a sudden spike in beta alanine in the blood, which causes it to happen. And I'm not sure anybody knows that, but or maybe I just haven't read it. Um, is it? Some, but if you do, I was going to say, is there anything to, to say? It maybe like um, brings the blood a bit closer to the 
surface of the skin type thing. You know, yeah, like, so you get that with something like niacin, you get like a flushing effect. Mm. Um, but I don't think you see much increased blood flow, and it's not like you're producing loads of extra nitric oxide, which causes um, which causes like increased uh, blood flow or um, dilation of the blood vessels. Um, so maybe, but I haven't read that specifically. Not that it matters. It's, I'm just curious. <laughs> more than anything it is though, if anybody has if people haven't taken it it's it's weird but you can split it if you split up your dose into so say you're taking three grams a day you split it into into three or four doses of less than a gram you probably won't you probably won't notice it but you'll still see you'll, you'll still see the benefit but again this is something that you know you're looking at maybe a couple of percent in terms of performance so if you're a competitive athlete who's doing sprints regularly you know maybe you do crossfit or you do some kind of um, uh, uh, team sport, maybe you, you know, potentially rugby or something like that. They haven't really tested it with that. Uh, but if you're doing that kind of repeated interval sprint, then you might see benefit. But again, it's sort of like sort of the icing on the cake kind of thing, rather than being uh, the be all end all. Uh, and it, it might also it might also help if you're somebody who's doing fairly high volume in the gym. So you know, sets of 10, 12, 15 reps, working fairly hard. Um, then um, beta alanine might might give you a bit of a boost there. I can't remember what fifteen reps feels like. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. To that's something for you to research for a f- future podcast, mate. Well, why beta alanine makes your face look funny? That's it. And why <laughs> specifically your eyebrows? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I, I will. Uh, I will look into it. <laughs> Just um, going back to, um, I know you were talking about people with a performance goal. Um, these, these might be helpful. So. Just, I know we've still got creatine to cover, but the average person going to the gym, probably most people we come across train faster just because of the time they train and um, yeah. not not really liking having eaten beforehand. Do you think, um, I know we've, we've talked a little bit about it, but there's really, are you sort of saying there's really no, not re- any real benefit, even from a fat loss point of view, um, to taking anything? Would they be better just sort of having maybe a coffee at the most, training and then getting a really good post-workout meal down them and then making sure they hit their protein goal for the rest of the day? Um, so none of, I think, no, nothing that we've really talked about will have will help that much in terms of a fat loss. So there isn't, you know, caffeine might help a little bit, yeah. uh, but it, but it's something that, um, it's something that, like, like I said earlier, that your body will get used to and it just won't have as much of an effect at the kind of same level that you're taking it. I think the most important, like the most important thing, is going to be getting getting good quality food in the rest of the day. And if you can get it in fairly early, you know you have access to a reasonable meal, and you and you are able to eat a reasonable meal close to the end of your workout. Then I think those are the, those are going to be the most important. If you know, if you want to take a, some some amino acids during your workout, you know, fine. But again, you know, if people are just looking for general um, general health. I don't think it's going to be the be all and end all. I think you know, you know, looking after yourself the rest of the day is where where the the benefit is going to come from. And, and in terms of that post workout meal, I think I've read to my recently. I know this is going to be individual because some people just can't eat for a long time, depending on the intensity of the workout. But that it was around 15 minutes you needed to wait for after weight training to try and get a meal in, and a bit longer with um, endurance or cardio work, like 40, 50 minutes. I don't know if that's to do with digestion completely shutting down or if there's a reason that you would yeah so i mean that that is a good point about um endurance exercise if you've done a long endurance session then basically you shut down all blood to the gut 
And then if you suddenly throw a load of calories in, it's, it can be a bit of a shock to the system. Mm. Um, and I think you see that in a lot of in a lot of endurance athletes. Um, the sort of the combination of maybe a long distance run plus a load of food afterwards, and maybe not great quality food, and that's you know their their gut isn't very happy about that. And you can sort of tell they, they get a lot of gastrointestinal symptoms. But I would just be I would just be guided by by how you feel. You know, if you, if you're able to get food in earlier and especially so people are going to the gym for 45 minutes or an hour in the morning unless they're sort of like pounding the treadmill continuously for that whole time i think as soon as they they feel able to take you know to take food in then then i think it'll just be very individual if they can get it in within like obviously you know nutrition over the whole day is the most important thing but if they can get it in within you know half an hour or an hour um then that's probably that's probably going to be best just one more point, and I know I'm going to say that. <laughs> if someone, so the other popular thing we keep seeing is people intermittent fasting, but then training before work. So they're getting up at six, training, um, and then doing that intermittent fast, the sort of more typical model of don't eat until it's 12 o'clock in the day. So they'll have a good um, four or five hours after their workout where they're not refueling and they're fasting still. Do you think there's any issue with that? Or again, would it be sort of more case by case that you'd? I, I actually don't see that much of an much of an issue there. You're, so if, if you're gonna if you're talking about somebody who wants to build maximum muscle mass, then that's not that, I mean that's not the way to do it. You want to get you want to replenish glycogen. You want to get um, amino acids in as soon as possible after you've broken those down. If you're somebody that's you know looking to get as big as as strong as possible, then you just need to eat more frequently. You know that's that sadly doesn't really work with intermittent fasting. But I imagine that most people aren't there. They're, they're intermittent fasting because it works for their day and because there are potential health benefits. And, you know, they're just trying to get fitter and you know, healthier and, and stronger. But it's not like they want to get as big as possible. Jacked. Yeah. They don't, yeah. So, so, so in that case, I don't think that's necessary. I don't think there's necessarily a problem there. They will break down more muscle tissue in those hours without eating. But if they're getting in enough protein the rest of the time, then it's probably not going to cause um, cause that many problems. Especially if it works for them, they feel good, look good, they start to feel better. Um, then I wouldn't really worry about it. Can we move on to creatine now? Yeah, is that the last one we're doing? Which we should probably mention. We're going to spread this over two episodes, aren't we? So we've got a whole another oh, hour. We're going to record another one. Go through till. <laughs> just just keep going. Yeah, <laughs> we probably could talk about four hours on this topic, but I mean, well, that's it. You could, couldn't you? Yeah. But Tommy, so creatine is obviously something that um, is heavily spoken about. Um, I mean, there's different forms of creatine, etc. Um, and in my experience, um, I mean, personally, I feel I do benefit from creatine. Um, I've spoken to other people that just simply don't. Isn't so, that supposed to be responders and non-responders? To, yeah, I think, isn't it? Like, I think so. Is that a snip? I think Tommy's going to tell us. <laughs> yeah. I am going to tell you. That's question. I'll finish your question. Well, yeah, well, that was, a set of, well, that was it really, was, you know, what, what can creatine do for us? You know, what are the benefits and why would some people be uh, non-responders, as we mentioned? Okay, so, yeah, you're right. There are respondents and non-responders, and it's thought that about um, 60 to 70% of people are responders and then the rest aren't responders. So, 20 to 30, so you know, maybe up to a third of people aren't responders. And that, at least in part, um, they're not really sure why that is, but there's a number of potential reasons. So it's, it's at least to do with how much creatine you have to start with. So if you have a load of creatine in your muscle naturally, mm-hmm. then you're not going to get as much of a benefit. Um, if you are, have 
a lot of lean muscle. They think that the more muscle you have, the more of a benefit you'll see, obviously, because you've got more muscle for that creatine to go into and do its job. Yeah. Um, and if you're a fast twitch dominant, then you're more likely to see a benefit because those are the muscle fibers that really benefit from that kind of, that kind of, um, cause that's what creatine helps you with is with that kind of first 10 to 15 seconds, you know, like either a heavy set of three or five, maybe up to eight, whatever weight in the gym or, you know, a really short sprint, you know, hundred meter sprint, something like that. And again, with repeated efforts, you know, that's where you see the real benefit and people who do, you know, respond, you know, people who do respond, you know, you can see 10, 15, 20% increase in, in terms of power and strength. Uh, I think at the upper end, it's usually people who are maybe sick in some way to begin with. So people who have some kind of um, muscular problem or in the elderly or, you know, people with chronic fatigue or something like that, then they almost see a, a bigger benefit. And, and I think part of why that is, um, and again, why people might not respond is because the last step of creatine synthesis involves methylation. So you need to methylate uh, guanidine or acetate uh, using estines or methionine, uh, which is basically your, uh, if anybody doesn't know, probably most people don't know, um, is um, it's like your universal methyl donor. So we, we talk about, you know, methylation has become this really, really uh, big thing recently. And estine or methionine is, is what you use for a lot of um, methylation reactions where you basically stick a methyl group onto something, DNA, proteins. Uh, whatever, loads of things that are important for that. So if you are a poor methylator, then I think my theory is that you will do better, that you'll do better taking creatine because it's creatine synthesis is a very methylation-heavy pathway because you need methylation. So if, you're, if your body is kind of triaging its methylation processes for other things, creatine synthesis is maybe not going to be one of the ones that it's going to you know, prefer you know, if you want to think about it like that. So then I think there are people, there are people who will benefit. Um, maybe, maybe because of that. Um, and, and this kind of came up. Um, so people will have heard, I think Chris Kelly has, has that podcast gone out or it will go out. You had him on the podcast recently. He'll be after you. Um, yeah, so he'll be after yeah. this episode. But it's... Okay, so in the next episode, Chris <laughs> Kelly, he uh, runs Nourish, Balance, Thrive, which is the, the uh, clinic in the States that I'm the chief medical officer of. Um, he's a very, very good friend of mine who I have never met in person. Oh, really? We've only interact, yeah, I've no never way. met. We've only, we, we interact daily, but I've never met him in person. Okay. Um, but anyway, so he is an elite cycle, uh, an elite mountain biker and yeah. cyclocross racer. Uh, so he has, a, he has like a pro card. He's technically a pro, but he doesn't make any money doing it. But he's at the top level. And, you know, he's very good at long distance uh, bike rides, but... Uh, cyclocross which is something he does more in the winter months i think in california is it, basically it's like an hour of you know um it's basically like riding a road bike off-road for an hour which just seems bonkers wow. to me but a lot of people do it um and there's loads of like corners and hills and sprints and stuff like that but he was never really very good at that so i suggested that he take vitalin and creatine to try and get that kind of top end power that kind of sprint out things that he's noticed is that He's much faster out the gate. He can sort of keep up with people out of corners much better than he could before. Um, and that, you know, could be fairly anecdotal. But he did, to kind of test this, wanted to do it fairly scientifically. He had like a, a weekly, so he, so he did a baseline, which is basically five-minute-long sprints, which will kind of cover both the, the benefit of creatine for the first 10 to 15 seconds and then maybe uh, beat Alanine for, for the next kind of the rest of the minute and with a minute in between. And so his, his, he would average 500 watts um, which is fairly decent um, for a minute 
But then by the end of uh, the four-week test, he was averaging to 650 watts for a minute, which is wow. more than a 20% increase. And there will be a training effect there because he's gotten used to the sprint protocol and he feels happy with it. But he got a huge increase in power from taking those supplements. And at least part of that, we know he's a very poor methylator. So then I think the creatine is having a big benefit there. So that was a very uh, long and convoluted story, but hopefully uh, people can see that maybe if, if you're in that kind of, if that's the level that you're competing and training at, um, and you're somebody who will then respond, which not necessarily everybody will, um, but then, then maybe you'll see a, a benefit from something like that. I think it's definitely worth checking to see whether you respond to creatine maybe just just try taking some and, and see how you do i think anybody who, who's based in any kind of power or strength sport does or should take it really because it's very safe um we know a lot about it you know probably hundreds of research studies but then if you don't benefit from it then obviously don't continue taking it or if you know you're just somebody who goes into the gym you know does some maybe sprints on the treadmill or a run or swings a kettlebell you know, all the other stuff, then then maybe it's not necessarily worth worrying about. Um, but a, a couple of things based on what we said earlier is that there are multiple forms of creatine. Creatine monohydrate is the only one that's been extensively researched. And I see loads of like people coming out with these fancy new creatines and it's been going on for a long time. And a lot of people have said before me that those things just aren't worth taking. If you want to take something that has research behind it, then just take creatine monohydrate. And it's cheap. Um, but because it's cheap means you can also get very bad creatine. So the one you want to take is uh, Crea Pure. It's made by a company in Germany. So pretty much every creatine supplement you buy is either Creapure made in Germany or something else made maybe in China. Um, yeah. And they, they are very notorious for being com contaminated with a lot of stuff, oh, wow. just rad crap. So wow. uh, I think one, one real um, lesson here, and something I've thought about more, more recently, is that if you're going to buy supplements, make sure you're getting them from somewhere decent. You know, we trust, you know, or if you're even a, if you're a tested athlete, you know, contact the company. You can get something called a certificate of analysis, uh, which will hopefully show that they can test the batch that you did and show that it's not contaminated with anything, including both banned supplements and, and other sort of contaminants. Um, so even though, so if, if things are on the cheaper end and you do think you need them, which obviously not everybody does, but if you are going to take them, make sure you're getting something of a reasonable quality or of good quality. There is, um, I'm just looking it up now on my phone. There is a company, I don't know if it's only UK based. I think it might be. Um, it's something sport and they tell you which ones are tested. I'll find it in a second uh, for uh, uh, athletic I, use. I and was for, on their website earlier. Oh, really? Um, and for um, informed sport. Informed sport, that's it, yeah. I was looking yeah. it up. They also tell you for, I never realised armed forces actually are tested. I didn't know that. And oh, yeah. uh, someone emailed us this week and said, I'm in the armed forces, can I take um, some of these pre-workout formulas that you guys recommend? Um, and I said, firstly, contact the company directly, but go on informed sport. And actually, they weren't on there. So, um, but yeah, very useful website. Well, who's the... Because there's the what's the, the the other supplement company who is, is apparently the only. I mean, I'm talking about general supplements now as well. You know, like multivitamins, things like that. That are the only one that. Um, Biocare. Is it Biocare? Biocare is the one that I've seen at functional sports nutrition um, conferences uh, make a big, big effort to make everything that their their multis, their fish oils. What they do is use reverse osmosis water. Because they were saying that Just there the could be and... contaminants in the water, maybe. Um, so they've really gone like another level. 
Uh, that was the company I know. But on, actually, I was surprised. On Informed Sport, there were loads of companies that I didn't think... I think even MaxiMuscle gone there, which I wouldn't have thought would be... There you go. Well, kind so, of so the important thing, the important thing to remember is that even if you're there on informed sport, that doesn't informed sport doesn't guarantee that all those products have been that each batch has been tested. Right, so if, okay. if it's something that you're really worried about, you have to go to the company themselves wow. and okay. ask for proof of, of, of testing. So so kind of informed sport is a great way to start. If somebody's not on informed sport, then then it's probably you know uh, probably worth looking elsewhere. Um, but you'll, but you'll always need to, if you're really worried about it, particularly if you're a tested athlete um, or in the armed forces or, um, to say, in the police force or something like that, you know, where it's potentially you might get tested, then um, then I would, you have to interact with the company directly. Are they tested for caffeine, all of them as well? So what are used to, uh, caffeine used to be banned, uh, but it's not anymore. Um. So a couple of questions about um, creating. Before we, yes. before we say ta um, So number one is... Um, Would you take it before a spin class? No, I'm joking. Well, <laughs> Pre-Zumba. Um, I'd be like Chris Kelly. Well, that, to be fair, actually, I mean, my question is, when would you recommend taking it? Or Because, you know, some things I've read are, you know, pre and post, others are just post, others are like, as long as you're getting it throughout the day, it doesn't really matter. So what does Dr Tommy Wood have to say about it? So... Probably the most important answer is the last one, which is that as long as you're getting it throughout the day, it doesn't really matter. But there is a reasonable amount of evidence that when you have activated, you know, when you've got uh, either insulin-mediated or non-insulin-mediated glucose uptake into muscles, so when you have high insulin sensitivity or with a carb load or immediately after exercise, you'll get better creatine uptake. Um, and actually, the best, if, if, if you're going to compare all of them and do one, and the best time to take it is after a workout. See you that? seem to get the best uptake. That's exactly yeah. when um, I was taking it. I was just adding it to my uh, post-workout shake, and, and I could definitely feel a, a benefit for sure. I said, I even said to you, well, didn't you, I? You tick all the boxes that Tommy has just mentioned. So in terms of... Lots of muscle mass. Let's <laughs> <athletic>, it, yeah. <laughs> Poor methylator was where I was going. Oh, I know. I have a poor methylator, yeah. <laughs> so, but then you get to the interesting thing. So I mentioned that, so for me, creatine really affects my sleep. And uh, I couldn't I couldn't figure out why. And I couldn't find this anywhere. And they, like, you go on bodybuilding forums and people kind of say something similar. And there isn't really that much evidence for why. But, uh, so what happens is uh, creatine is actually... In people with diabetes, so it's mostly been done in type 2 diabetes. There's one study that happened in Slovenia in type 1 diabetics, which I'm, I'm not really sure about. But basically, they seem to get better blood glucose control after they take creatine. So it can make your, it can reduce your blood glucose. It can improve insulin sensitivity. Um, and so what I think is happening is that, um, and the reason that, um, the reason that happens is people might have heard of uh, drugs like uh, metformin, um, and that can, and there are other ways of basically exercise. What it does, one of the ways it works is to activate something called AMPK. People don't really know, need to know what it is, but AMPK is basically the, the cell's way of figuring out how much energy it has. So you activate AMPK by increasing the amount of creatine in the cell um, because. Uh, creatine, the ratio of creatine to phosphocreatine is basically an indicator of how much spare energy the cell has. So creatine needs to be um, have a phosphate group attached 
and then it becomes that kind of um, it becomes the energy source in that short period of time. So if you suddenly put loads of creatine into the into the cell, creatine indicates a relative lack of energy because creatine is low because you want phosphocreatine to be high. So when creatine goes in, the cell thinks, oh, I don't have that much energy because I've got all this spare creatine. So I need to create lots of phosphocreatine. So I need more energy. So my relative energy has dropped. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So if that happens in the brain, then I think it's activating uh, the part of the hypothalamus, which regulates whether you feel alert or not, the uh, hypocretin neuron system. So um, you see if you activate that, then... um, you can get things like an increase in heart rate and an increase in alertness. So that's one of the reasons why when your blood sugar goes up, your alertness drops. Because basically, wash your hypothalamus in glucose and your hypothalamus switches off and you lose that kind of, um, you lose that alertness. And the opposite happens with ketones. So if your blood glucose go down and your ketones go up, that can increase your alertness because it increases the activity of, of those, those neurons in the hypothalamus. So I think creatine is kind of acting in that system there that is pure conjecture on my part and people probably didn't make like probably couldn't understand me for the last five minutes <laughs> uh, but the moral of the story is for some people creatine might keep them away if they, awake if they take it late at night that was that was a long way of saying it's <laughs> quite a lot of awesome tips here if anyone's doing exams as well thinking about all the, the stimulatory effects of various uh, yes, things then another another thing that, that i used to take before my uh, exams when i was a uh, uh, biochem undergrad uh, was tyrosine. Uh, yeah, yeah. tyrosine because it, it's, it's converted to the catecholamines like uh, dopamine and uh, adrenaline. And so, if you take a, a gram or two of tyrosine, that can that can increase alertness. So, and and similarly, creatine has been shown to be able to reverse the lack of alertness caused by sleep deprivation. So they took. One study, they took rugby players and they sleep deprived them. I think they only got like four hours sleep and then they did like passing drills to check accuracy. And creatine worked as well as caffeine to help, you know, maintain their accuracy after sleep deprivation. So it definitely has an alertness effect. Um, So maybe a bit of caffeine, a bit of creatine, a bit of tyrosine. I think that's, you know, I I wouldn't recommend you have, if you get to the point where you have to take that before every workout, which is essentially a pre-workout, then know you're, you're having problems but if you need you know to, to have some alertness for for a short for a certain period of time that's not a bad combination that's certainly better than a lot of the other things that you know weird chemical combination neurotropics that people are talking about don't take risk of them just have a bit of tyrosine <laughs> it's funny you use that as an example because sometimes if matt's getting up at he'll he'll get up at silly o'clock like half four to do a workout and i'm like right you can sleep on the sofa because i'm not getting up at that time but i'll know he's had a bad night because i'll come down and there's tyrosine b6 and carnitine on the side <laughs> so like, you obviously needed it this morning and a massive empty cafetiere as well <laughs> true true feels like it gives that edge so you listen to that bit when i say this will help you with your pre-workout it's like oh i'll have that i'll take that <laughs> that'll do <laughs> right tommy last question mate this should be a quick yes. one you hear a lot about creatine and that people need to do a, a so-called loading phase um i've always thought that was a load of bs for the supplement companies just to get you to get through your first tub quicker um so you'd buy another one sooner or is there something in that so if you want if you want maximal effects of creatine in maximum amount of time so basically so if you want to if you want to go to the beach look bigger and you're going to the beach in a week um then creatine is actually pretty good at shuttling water into the muscles so they look bigger right so it's it's very good at doing that so 
if you want to do that, then you then you should do a creatine load, you know, like 20, 25 grams a day. And and so you, if you want the maximum benefit of creatine in as, as quick as possible, the studies show you should probably load. If you are just somebody who wants to consistently, you know, maybe you're, you're doing a strength training cycle or you are a power or strength athlete, just um, the same amount of creatine, maybe five grams, three to five grams, 10 grams if you're a, you know, a, a much bigger guy um, or girl, um, then just take the same amount every day and, and you'll, you'll reach the same sort of muscle level. It will just take a longer period longer. of time. So for most people, they don't need to load. Is, would you say with creatine, it's something that you need to cycle or do you think it's relatively safe to just continue doing? That we used to think, or people used to think that you should cycle creatine. And I think that sort of came from the mindset of you had to cycle everything in bodybuilding because everything else was steroids. <laughs> <laughs> which, you, which you do need. If you take steroids, you do need to cycle them. But that's a whole different conversation. So uh, for, for creatine, uh, I don't think you need to cycle it cool. in general. So uh, some, some people still do prefer to. And, um, you know, if, if, there, if there's a period of time when, you know, you're going away, you're not going to be training, doesn't really matter that much, then there's no, you know, you don't necessarily need to take the creatine, so then you can cycle it on and off. But uh, one way or the other doesn't really make that much difference. It's not something you need to cycle. See, I, I naturally cycle everything purely because I run out and then I forget to order more. So it's always like <laughs> at least a two-week break before I take it again. Awesome. I think we should wrap up there because we've we've gone on for a good bit. But yeah, all good amazing. stuff, all good stuff. Tommy, you are an absolute legend. Thank yeah. you so much, buddy. Um your really? brain amazes me. Um, <laughs> is he your geek crush? <laughs> yeah, he, he's my, Tommy's my geek crush. Chris Crest is yours. Tommy's mine. Um, but, mate, um, yeah, thank you very much. And oh, Just oh, quickly, you're good. over in the uh, UK in January again, aren't you, for the Ruscio event? Or are you not? Not I keep saying Ruscio. Dr. Ruscio. Is it Ruscio? Ruscio. No, I'm, I'm, in, um, I'm in Arizona for a, a conference with uh, other doctors. Oh, wow. Uh, oh, wow. Oh, wow get you (laughs) (laughs) all right guys i hope you enjoyed that episode um i certainly did Uh, loads of information in there plenty of nuggets for you to to certainly um take on board uh please please leave a review if you haven't done so already even if it's bad we don't mind we we can take it just about um you know share it with anyone you think will benefit from this and keep spreading the fit of food love but for now it's tara from from me and we will see you in episode number 65 bye see you later (laughs) say 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 bye like you mean it tommy bye bye